Hi, this is Lily, and I'm a member of the Beacon Church. Welcome to our podcast. If you're in the neighborhood, we'd love to meet you. We meet on Sundays at 9.30 and 11.30 a.m. at the Viscardi Center at 201 IU Willits Road in Albertson, New York. Beacon is a non-for-profit, and if you shop Amazon, who doesn't? You can select Beacon Church of Long Island as a supporting organization and a small portion of every purchase will go to supporting the work at Beacon. Remember to shop at smile.amazon.com and select Beacon Church of Long Island as your supporting organization. Thank you and hope to see you soon. So here it is. Wow, the last Sunday of uh, worship services at uh, this building. So, you know, I've been thinking a whole lot about it uh, this week, and um, there's something I've really been thinking quite a bit about uh, for the whole week, and that's just how many of you are going to come to the building next week, because that's what I'm really interested in, is just how many of you are, you're going to come, you're going to be like, I'm all alone, where is everyone? You're going to be sitting, you're going to be like, I don't get it, I thought... (laughs) The service was happening. So, you know, I think we're going to start a pool. You know, how many people will start driving to the building? How many will actually make it to the parking lot? But I want to know how many make it to the door with an empty parking lot. So we're thinking maybe set up like one of those live stream cameras and we'll show it at the Viscardi Center. So we have people checking the door and being like this. It'll be a fun day. Um, So I hope I can catch some of you on video next week. Um, That should be neat. Now, so from the very beginning, Beacon has pressed tirelessly into the work, and we continue to take big risks. It started as a prayer meeting, just four of us, wondering what God might have for the future. And then we started renting space in uh, the hotel over on Stewart Ave. Then we launched the church here in this location, joining with the struggling church that was here. And then our amazing efforts in New Hyde Park, which have been such a significant part of uh, what has happened in the history of our church. We've had staffing additions and subtractions and these massive advertising campaigns and our one-on-one discipleship efforts. We've cultivated relationships with local government agencies like the foster care office, and we've started a network of churches that meets throughout Long Island called Revive LI, designed to help support churches and get new churches started. And we have pressed into all of this work with an aggressive posture. Why? Why? To accomplish the mission that God has given to us. So we press on and we press in. Because lost people matter to God, and they ought to matter to us, to see lives put back together, to learn how to grow in our faith, teach people what it means to know and to love Jesus and their spiritual family and to live holy lives, and to serve our communities with increasing levels of sacrifice. There are so many stories, right? You can go through and All these different seats, they represent lives that have been changed. I could think of hundreds. 
Think of a young marriage that was struggling with self-centeredness but found the power of Jesus would give them strength and started to rebuild on that basis. I think of an older woman who started crying every time she heard the songs begin. She would just cry and cry as she started to understand just how much God loved her. Think about an elderly man who right before dying gives his life to Jesus. A lifetime of resistance collapses under the weight of fear that death brought and hope offered. A child of seven years old gave his life to Jesus when he learned that he could have the forgiveness of his sins and that God made him unique and loved him. A person in recovery celebrated their one-year sobriety birthday once they realized that their higher power had a name. Another beats pornography addiction. Another breaks the power of greed and starts living generously. I could go on all day. In fact, every week the staff get together and we do people stories where we just do that. We just share the stories of lives changed and we give shout outs to all of our team members who have been involved in this great work. And what we see is that there is nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. And today, we're going to look at how God designed a local church to function. And then I'm going to end with a challenge for each of you. So open up in a Bible to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. This was a letter written to a church in Ephesus by a man named Paul. It's one of the oldest letters that we have from antiquity. Most everyone knows Paul wrote it. But why is it so amazing that Paul is the author of this letter. You got to know a little bit of the backstory to appreciate it. Paul was actually a Jewish rabbi who was trying to tear down this newly formed church 2,000 years ago. He thought that Jesus was a heretic and that the followers of Jesus, that's all of us, were like a cancer inside of Judaism that needed to be surgically cut out. And he went from city to city tracking down and punishing, even murdering the leaders of the early church, by the way, almost all of whom were Jewish. Then Paul met Jesus. After Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus appears to Paul and he says, dude, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say the dude part, I added that part, but he said, why are you persecuting me? Paul had no good answer. He was stunned that he had met the risen Messiah, and Paul was transformed. His whole life was turned around because he met Jesus and because he knew that Jesus came back from the dead. And then Jesus sends Paul on a mission to start and strengthen churches all over the Mediterranean basin. And now, instead of killing Christians and their leaders, Paul is telling Christians and their leaders how to reach even more people with the transforming, life-changing message of Jesus. That's kind of the background here and why it's such a startling letter that has been handed down to us throughout history. So Paul tells us that there is one church made up of all of these gifted parts. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, 
Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. So there is one common faith that we share. It is the same faith that transformed Paul. The faith, the belief that Jesus is in fact alive and that he is sending his church on a mission. For Paul, he saw him. He was an eyewitness to the account. And he is telling us, you can trust me in this. Jesus is in fact alive. And he has given you, according to verse 7, grace. He's given us a gift. We'll see here and next week that each and every person has a unique gift that God has designed you with a certain gifting, unique to you, that you are responsible and accountable for. Then he goes on to tell us that Jesus rescues us from captivity in order to bestow that gift on us. Verse 8, this is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole of the universe. So he ascends, he takes these captives, and he gives them gifts. Now, this is a pretty confusing verse in the Bible, but if you wanted to kind of cut through some of the confusion, we get to see that Jesus is actually setting us free. The captives are being set free so that he can give them a gift. And that gift that he gives us isn't for us alone. He sets us free for a purpose. See, your salvation isn't simply for you. The fact that Jesus came along and gave you eternal life isn't just for you. He has given you a gift. If you are a follower of Jesus then God actually has a plan for you. And each one of us is supposed to use that gifting that he has given us in order to complete God's mission. Look at verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 16, from him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Verse 16 is the key there, right? Each part is to do its work. And so you, the way this is sort of laid out for us is that the leaders have a particular gifting and responsibility. He lists four or five. The, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, the teachers. And the point here that he makes in verse 12 is that the role of the leaders is to equip the people. He makes a distinction here. See, the role of the leaders is not to do all of the ministry themselves. The role of the leaders is to equip the people. That is their primary work. Now, many of us come from a background where this is not at all how things were done. But this is, in fact, how Paul thought Jesus wanted his church run. That the leaders equip the people. But many leaders refuse to equip others. They resist giving away the work of ministry. You know, I don't know. There's lots of reasons why. Maybe they like being, you know, big fish in a little pond. So they don't want anyone shining beside them, taking away from their glory. 
You know, maybe they don't trust people to do the work. Maybe they don't know how to give away. It's not part of their normal training, sadly. Just in the last month, I have tried to encourage two different pastors to let their congregations do the work of ministry, to equip them. And I was encouraging them, saying, this is, how it ought, this is the way it ought to be. This is the priesthood of all believers, like we talked about. And one of them literally told me, but I don't trust them. I was like, but, but Jesus did. Jesus did trust them. And if you don't trust them, it means that's because they're not equipped, which is whose responsibility? Oh, yes, yours. If you don't trust them, that's on the leader. And I think on the other side of it, Christians often let their leaders abdicate this responsibility. I think it's comfortable. Let's Christians off the hook. We get to watch the other people, the professionals, do the ministry. And instead of doing the ministry ourselves, we get to, we get to farm it out. We get to hire it out and relieve ourselves from having to do it. I hope in my prayer is that you will never, ever let this happen. I hope that you will always insist that your leaders are in the business of equipping you. That you demand it based on this text that you are equipped and released into the ministry, not held back by antiquated theologies or structures. See, Christians do have a particular gifting and responsibility. And in verse 12, it says, the leaders are to equip the people for what? For the work of service. And what does that include? So the body of Christ may be built up. He talks about becoming mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He speaks of unity and growing in knowledge and maturity. That's your responsibility. Your responsibility is to do all of the work of ministry that is entailed in growing every single person up into maturity in faith. You are a gift to each other and to the community. That's how God views you. He has given you as a gift to each other and to the broader community. Christians, they build up the church. The leaders are designed to equip them to do it. So and in that way, all of us share in this building up of the church. little trick question. I recently heard a guy ask this. It was just this last week. He said, is the church a hospital or an army? And immediately you want to like sort of pick one and take sides. But you see the trick and the dividing line, of course. If you think that it's an army, then it's easy to mobilize and take ground for the king of kings. Great. If you think it's a hospital, then our primary focus ought to be on hurting people, especially Christians who are not hurting people, but people who are hurting. You guys get the grammar. Grammar is so important. Not hurting people, but people who are hurting. Most people fall into one camp or the other. And then let the fireworks begin as they fight out what, you know, fight about what they're actually supposed to do. Are we supposed to go out or are we supposed to be inwardly focused? Of course, it's both. We're supposed to be a force for good in the fight against evil, against Satan and his minions. And we're supposed to be a hospital to heal the hurting. But I struggle with this idea of us being a hospital because it seems so removed from the, the call of the church. It seems so removed from the mission. So I like instead to think of it like a MASH unit. You guys remember MASH. How many of you are willing to admit that you remember MASH? A few of you are old enough 
Um, nice. Uh, you know, anybody remember what MASH stood for? Any military folks who might know? Mobile Army Surgical Hospital. That's what MASH stood for. One of the greatest sitcoms of all time if you are old. Um, but what I loved about this mobile army surgical hospital was it was right behind the, the front lines. It was as close to the battle as you could get so that as soon as somebody got hurt in the fight, they could immediately be treated. And if they could be treated well, they could be sent right back out into the battle. I love that picture. They patch up soldiers, they send them right back into the battle. Sometimes the mass unit themselves get shelled. Sometimes they got to get mobile and they need to be on the road because they need to pick it up and, and move closer to the front lines. Sometimes they need to send Christians home to see Jesus with accolades for a battle well fought. Everyone, those patching up the soldiers, the soldiers themselves, those resourcing the front lines, those providing support, everyone is in a fight. And our fight is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people here. It is against the forces of darkness that are destroying humanity, that are robbing us of our unity, of our glory that is rightly ours as creatures made in the image of God. So here's what we know. Remember all the research projects we've done over the last few years here? Uh, we've been doing all sorts of different research projects. We found out that 54% of our Sunday attendees don't serve in any regular ministry. 54%. So about half of our congregation. So we thought, well, maybe they're involved in ministry outside of Beacon. We asked some other questions on another survey. No, not really. About half of our spiritual family has yet to find a role in ministry. About half. See, serving at Beacon can actually be an on-ramp to help you practice doing the work of ministry. That's why we have so many different opportunities. One of the weirdest things about it was we found out that 67% of our congregation is excited to serve. Half of those who don't serve are excited to serve, which was really fascinating because that tells me it's not that that people are saying, I absolutely don't want to do it. I don't want to be a part of it. There's something else holding us back. If half are excited to get going, but haven't. So what's the leading fear that people have about serving? We all know what it is. We answered it because I had the survey results. No time. There's no time. More than 43%, 43% believe that they are too busy. They're too busy to get involved in any significant way in ministry. But here's the thing, there's all sorts of different kinds of ministries. There's all sorts of different kinds of opportunities, of commitments. And I know that we can find something for those of you who are not yet deployed in the ministry. I, I know we're gonna be able to find something for you. Something that fits with your current circumstances. And I got to tell you this, to be straight up with you, you are not actually any busier than most everyone who does serve. I, I, know, I know the team. I know who's doing what. 
You're actually not. It is always an issue of priority. And here's the thing. I'm not trying to like, you know, make you feel bad or guilt you or anything like that. That's not what I'm doing here. But I want to give you just some, some straight up facts about this. And then you do with it what you wish. National researchers tell us that one of the most significant differences between those who volunteer and those who don't is the amount of TV that we watch. I'm not kidding you. So those who don't serve watch more TV. Now, I, I'm, not, I'm not trying to make a judgment as to whether you should be watching all that TV, the binge watch, or anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm asking you to think through this for just a moment. Are you convinced that that is more rewarding? That that is the best use of your time for the accomplishment of your own personal goals? Not just to help someone out, but for yourself. Forget whether or not God has even called you to do this, which he has. Forget that for a moment, but just for yourself. Because here's what our research told us. The people who serve more frequently at greater levels of sacrifice, they have fewer concerns about serving, they have less fear about serving, they experience higher levels of joy in serving, they have more satisfaction and a sense of meaning and purpose than the people who don't. And they are not less busy than you. They don't have easier lives. They have simply reordered their priorities to better reflect God's plan for them. That's what they've done. They've reordered their lives. And because of that, God rewards them for it. That's what we see over and over again. The people who are in leadership positions who give even more time have even higher levels of satisfaction and joy. It is a direct relationship. And I want to encourage you to consider sacrificing your time. To give it to the work of the kingdom. I know for many of you, this is like one of the most intimidating things you could possibly hear from me. You would always rather write a check. It's so much easier nowadays. We guard our time so preciously. It's just... The scriptures tell us. God is calling us to offer that up to him. A spiritual sacrifice. And he will make good on his promises. Others talk about a fear of commitment. A fear of commitment. We have 53% say they fear the commitment. Now some of you ladies are like, yeah, that's half of the people who fear commitment. It's not all the men. That's not what I'm saying. It's not that half who fear the commitment. That's a whole other conversation we should have. But 53% fear commitment. 49% wonder if they can ever get out once they get in. They're like the, it's like the godfather. They keep drawing me back in. You're never signing up for life here. You're not doing that unless you're Joe Perillo. For Joe, we did sign him up for life. I asked him for six months to help on a project, and 12 years later, he's still doing that project, So, except Joe. But everyone else, no. You're not signing up for life. So don't sweat it. If a ministry doesn't work out, we'll find something else for you to try. 
We'll move you around. We'll keep trying things out until something fits, until it works, until you say, yes, this provides joy and meaning in my life. Some of you say, well, I'm not ready to serve. I'm not trained, or maybe I'm not a good enough Christian or whatever it might be. 20% in the survey said that you feel unprepared. A group of others have been burned out in the past, and so they're taking a break, about 10%. 20% say they've been overloaded without enough help. Listen, that's on us as leaders. That's our work. That's our responsibility. That's the part that falls squarely on our shoulders. We are supposed to be equipping and protecting you for the work of ministry. Let us own that. And the beacon culture is one where we avoid and fight against micromanagement, where we encourage autonomy, where we pursue excellence. We try to protect our team members from criticisms while still providing the appropriate levels of feedback so people can succeed in what they are doing. So I want to encourage you to lend a hand. Lend a hand. Help out at the church because we are a family. You guys go to family dinner, right? You go out, you do, maybe it's Thanksgiving at grandma's or something, and everybody lends a hand, right? There's no one who just sort of sits on the couch, or if they do, they get dirty looks, but you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, you, you know, everybody brings something, they bring a dish, people help set up the chairs, they clean up, they all go to the kitchen, they're washing dishes together, right? Because that's what families do. And if we're a spiritual family, then we lend a hand. And I want to encourage the half who are here in the church that have said, you know what, so far I haven't been willing to dip my toe in to this water. I want to encourage you to give it a shot. There is no better opportunity than right now. Be a part of what God is doing now. I want to look back on this day, 10 years, and I want to see your faces in all of those pictures. I want to see your kids who grew up in faith and started serving in ministry. When we look back on those pictures, I want to say, these are the group, this is the group of people that made our move to portable church happen. You know, so making coffee might not be your gifting. It might not give you a sense of purpose, though it might. But listen, everyone in the family ought to help out around the house, and this is a great way for you to get your first experience in ministry. And then I want to encourage you to find the right fit. And this goes a step beyond it. Here we're going to try to find something that really works for how you are uniquely made, how you are gifted. And there are so many different opportunities on different days and time commitments and all that kind of stuff. Something will line up with your unique gifting. It will. Otherwise, God wouldn't have had you that way here at this time. He has a perfect plan. So try it on for size. If you try something out and you don't like it, We'll try out another one. It is no big deal. Let us help you try and find some ministries. In fact, that's what this tool is about. If you could take this out, this is the one you got when you came in. It's why we were holding the, uh, the collection until a little later in the service. I want you to kind of take a look through here. These are all the different opportunities. Each of these ministries has all sorts of different aspects to it. There are different parts of these ministries that you could be, you know, be working at and looking at. And by filling out this little sheet on the bottom here, you're not signing up for anything. You're asking for information. 
You're going to get a call. You're going to get an email. Someone is going to say, listen, what, what part of this are you interested in? What would you like? What, do, what would you find most rewarding? What are you, what's your personality like? We're going to work with you to find out what is a great fit for who you are and for what your schedule is, what, your, what time you're able to sacrifice and to give at this stage of your life. So you just let us know, mark whichever one. If you're not sure, we even got little boxes here for you to check. I'm unsure where I'd like to serve. I'm willing to serve wherever there is a need. You can even mark those and say, I don't even know where to fit, I fit in. But let's start walking down this road together. Take a moment, fill this out. And in a minute or two, we're going to collect it all. You know, so our colleagues in other churches, they will often comment on how surprising it is that Beacon can accomplish so much ministry. They'll even tell us, they'll say, you know, it seems like you can give more than seems possible. We actually field more people in ministries, both inside and outside the church. We've recruited and retained more high-level leaders than seems likely. And all of that is true. And we should, in fact, are very proud of that. It's a unique mark of who we are as a congregation. And I love serving with all of you shoulder to shoulder. Yet imagine what would happen if we were able to effectively mobilize the other half. Imagine that. Imagine what it would be like. I mean, there is this incredibly great work to do. And it'll bring meaning. And it'll bring joy to your life. Because the local church is the hope of the world. And there is nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. Let me pray. I'm going to ask the band to come up as I pray. Asking that God would do this work in our hearts. Father, you are stirring up each of our hearts in the way that only you can. You know us. You know our unique gifting, our calling. Father, we want to be fully deployed and engaged. We want our, our transition to going portable to be just another exciting chapter in the work that you've been doing here in our midst over these years. And Lord, we want each and every person here to be a part of it, to be able to celebrate each win, every life that is transformed. Every family that is put back together. Every hurting person who is helped. Every sick who is healed. We want each and every one of your children here to be a part of that incredible work. Stir up our hearts, Lord. Help us to see the power that's found when each and every part does its part. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen.